Hi, and welcome. I'm Steve Martorano, and this is the Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the Behavioral Corner. Please hang around a while. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Behavioral Corner. I'm Steve Martorano. You know, we uh, take a moment in this special edition to salute the 10th anniversary of our underwriting partners, Retreat Behavioral Health. 10 years of spectacular growth and 10 years of providing world-class treatment to scores of people. The Behavioral Corner couldn't possibly ask for a better partner than Retreat. To get us started, here's their founder and chief executive officer, Peter Shore. Hello, Retreat family. Retreat celebrates its 10-year anniversary this month, 10 years of treating people with the disease of addiction and mental health disorders. The reason we've been open for 10 years is because of you. Our staff goes above and beyond any place I've ever seen in my life. Your dedication, hard work, your countless times where you just put yourself at risk because you wanted to make sure that our patients got what they needed is not only just something that's admired by myself, but it's admired by this whole industry. You guys are amazing. You guys do amazing work. I couldn't be here without you. And I just want you all to know how I appreciate it and thank you. And I thank you and I look forward to another 30 or 40 years with all of you. That would make me, I mean, all right, 20 more years with all of you. But thank you and happy anniversary retreat. Hey, back on the corner, the behavioral corner uh, with Steve Martirano and some more new guests. Thanks again, Peter Shore, founder of Retreat. We're pausing during this program to uh, look back at their uh, 10 years in existence now. Uh, this week, the 10th anniversary for Retreat. So it's, it's just an amazing achievement. As we uh, thought about how do we note this uh, milestone, they are, by the way, in the interest of full disclosure, our underwriting partners. But they're way more than that. I've told you that. How do we note that? What would be the best way to point out uh, the achievement and the uh, the effect of retreat that it's had on people, not only getting them sober, but their lives in general? We thought, well, here's what we'll do. We'll find some people who were there really early. This makes sense. In fact, they've identified like a handful of people who got the first jobs there. So we've got Maggie Hunt, who represents, among many other things, uh, one of the first 10 or 12 hires at retreat. So we welcome Maggie to the show. Maggie's a longtime contributor to this program when we love and uh, rely on her a lot. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Uh, and on the other side of the equation, those people who found themselves uh, in crisis with uh, substance abuse problems and on retreat's doorstep 10 years ago, which is an interesting phenomenon by itself, because, you know, how do you wind up in a new place when you're in trouble? We're going to find out their story straight ahead. Samantha Osterloff is uh, with us, as is Dave Bontempo. Both Samantha and Dave fall into that category. They were among the earliest patients. So we welcome you three guys to the Behavioral Corner, I think, for all three of you, including Maggie. It's the first time you hang with us on the corner, right, Mag? I think so. Yeah, you've, you've been in the other carnation of the program. Sam and Dave are newbies, so we welcome them. All right, so uh, Maggie, we're going to get you in a second because you, you know, you work for a living. We'll find out how that happened. But I want to know from Sam and Dave, um, 
Was it the first time that uh, you were trying to get uh, help at a uh, facility? Sam, was it your first visit to rehab? It was actually my second um, on December 21st of 2011. I ended up overdosing on my parents' couch and a very nice police officer said, Merry Christmas, you can go to treatment and not jail. And I reluctantly uh, went to the crisis intervention at my local um, county hospital and they gave me two pamphlets. And the one pamphlet, I had also actually already been to that facility. And the second pamphlet looked really nice, um, a place called Retreat at Lancaster County. And I very reluctantly said, I'm going to go with this pamphlet because it looks really nice. You know, that's kind of where my journey began. I got, uh, they came, they picked me up and I ended up on their doorstep. Do you remember who picked you up? I do remember who picked me up. It's a gentleman named Bob H who has since passed. However, I can say that uh, he passed uh, sober, Uh um, not as a result of this disease. And what was really, really starts how retreat was different for me than any other experience was, you know, with Bob, he came in my house, he picked me up, he met my parents, he met my, at the time, three-month-old daughter, he held her. And, you know, kind of gave my parents that piece before sending yeah. me off into the car up the hill to retreat. And he actually, you know, we stayed close throughout my entire treatment stay um, and years after. Um, until you know, I asked about that because we've had lots of guys from the uh, transportation department as guests. And I always uh, like to say that if you think these guys are just driving cars around, picking people up. Uh, you're not getting the whole picture because I don't care how great the treatment is. If that last mile is not covered right, nothing works. So these guys have a tremendous responsibility. They're not just Uber drivers. Uh, You know, they really are the first contact you have with people that care about whether you're going to get, you're going to get sober. So it's a great story. Um, And it doesn't surprise me that you remember the details and the guy so well. Now, Dave, you had a special driver, didn't you, as I recall? Who who got you to retreat? He was the passenger, but he was in the car, yeah. Um, so the full story is I it's my second uh, inpatient stay. I met Peter and that whole group at the facility that they were, were operating previously. I had been talking to him, and he thought I was sober since then, about, like, moving out there and getting a job. And um, August... 21st of 2011, you know, normal stuff in the family that when you're using kind of comes to a head. I I might be dating myself, but like when text messages like first kind of were out, I shot him a text message and was like, I need help. And a woman named Laura who was working in admissions reached out to me right away. And then Todd and and Peter came to my house, my parents' house and picked me up and brought (laughs) me in. Um, And it was six days after they opened. So it was like brand new. Were the two of you just in such desperate shape that you really weren't considering the fact that this was a new place? Uh, did that ever come into your mind? What, you know, what can I expect? These guys are just getting started. Did that Was that a concern at all? For me, um, I didn't mean to cut you off, Sam, but I, I looked at that because I knew everyone there. Like I knew Jesse, I knew Ben was there, I knew Chrissy, I knew Scott. I wanted to go somewhere else and just was like, I, I need to start fresh. And my mom is, uh, 
you know, big part of my story. And these two ladies know her that she's very abrupt and to the point and basically said, no, you need to be with 30 people that know you're a lying, conniving Dennis the Menace, pretend you're good, you know, but you're going to be doing all this stuff behind the scenes to go try and get a girlfriend and all this other crap. And like, that's where we're going. Right. <laughs> right. Samantha, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned the people and everything. You know, it's, it strikes me when I hear these stories about the facilities. And I know it's important that they're good facilities, that the rooms are clean and that, the you know, the food's got to be good. I get all that. It's important to get people in. At the end of the day, though, you're relying on people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the people at the other end. Dave said it perfectly. His mom knew. I don't care where you go, but you got to go with people that know your bullshit already or it's not going to work. So go here. Did you have that in your head or were you just taking a shot in the dark? The pamphlet looked good. (laughs) The pamphlet looked good. Uh, I was really trusting um, my local crisis worker, to be honest. I mean, the other pamphlet they showed me, I'd already been there. I didn't have the most awesome experience at the time at that previous facility. And so for me, I just... You know, thinking back now, it's funny that you asked that question. If I was concerned that they were a new program, I really was so unaware mm-hmm. that I had really didn't at the time have any idea to gauge whether this was going to be a uh, great treatment or subpar treatment. I just knew that they were, they took my insurance and they were willing to come pick me up and the pamphlet looked nice. And they and were better than jail. It was better than jail. And, <laughs> you know, when I walked in there, it wasn't that I, I didn't walk in there because I wanted to get well, Mm -hmm. you know, I walked in there because of a lot of external circumstances, a lot of internal sadness and misery, and they could have fed me uncrustable sandwiches and water, you know, the whole time I was there. Once I got there, it wasn't about the amenities of the food. That stuff was cool. Like it was nice, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but for me, it was the people that were running that facility selflessly giving of themselves and sharing their own personal recovery stories with me, building that relationship and really just looking at me with love and empathy and not any judgment. And that is really what I um, will tell people you can get sober anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, the difference was in the people that were placed in that facility that helped to start me on a path that, you know, we're almost 10 years in God willing. Um, but that's what it's about. It's about the people. And, you know, I met Maggie, I think I was like day three and she was just so happy to be working there. And drove me nuts. she was so happy. I <laughs> well, that's a great, remember, like it was yesterday. She was testing urine and just loving her life. And it was people like her that made me believe that there was a way out. There was a better way to live. And then, you know, after, you know, I met Dave, he started the alumni program and he would bring the meetings in and he was so happy to be involved and be out of treatment and giving back. And, you know, the first day I met him, um, when I was a patient, he was bringing the meeting in. He was like, when you get out, like you're going to come help do this alumni stuff. And for me, it was that first thing where someone's going to trust me to do something and somebody outside of this facility thinks that I may be able to live a better way of life. Yeah. Yeah. The intersection of you three guys is amazing. The doors are open six days. And the first person I think person that didn't take you see, Dave, is is Maggie. Maggie, how'd you find yourself on that side of the table? 
I also went to another facility that Peter was consulting for at the time. And I frequented that place. I was there like four times in nine months. So I really got to know the staff really well. And so (laughs) I knew that I wanted to work in treatment mainly because I'd be sitting in group and I would be judging the therapist and being like, I could run a better group than this therapist, but I had like three hours sober. So like, who am I? So I leave treatment the last time and I went to a halfway house and I stayed in contact with Peter and um, I knew he was only going to be at that facility for a little while. So um, he, t- he texted me one day, he said, hey, I'm opening up a facility in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. For me, I grew up in Bucks County. So the only time I've ever been to Lancaster was like a, on a field trip with my family and people weren't wearing shoes and like the country store and I was, they were talking like Pennsylvania Dutch and I didn't even know. So I was like, why would you ever open a facility in Lancaster County? That's the most ridiculous thing. And so he was like, well, why don't you come out and take a look? And so um, at the time I was living in Doylestown, I was uh, a newly single mother and he brought me out to this like construction site at retreat and was like, you know, do you want to work here? And we walked around and we picked up debris and he showed me a vision that like would shape the rest of I mean, like really like my whole adult life. Like I didn't have... I think I was like, how old was I? 20, 22 or 23 years old when I went out there. Like I didn't know anything really. So I was two years sober. Um, I was so happy because I was so grateful to be working in a facility. It was pretty incredible for me. That was a pretty audacious uh, interview. I mean, there are not many jobs I've ever heard of where they bring you to, you know, busted down building, you know, (laughs) that needs, you know, know, thousands and thousands of dollars and goes, Hey, you want to work here? I mean, you know, he's, he's got a great eye. And that's a fascinating thing, because now, all these years later, uh, you guys uh, are uh, sober, of course. Uh, and by the way, I buried the lead here. Uh, they have over 30 years sobriety between the three of them. I mean, it's just, you know, talk about success stories. This idea that you're still working in the field is fascinating for a lot of people. Dave, uh, when did it occur to you that this is something you ought to be doing, you know, for a living? Probably sometime when I was in the retreat and I don't, I don't know that it was a passion or a life raft of like, if I'm not fully immersed in this, I'm not going to necessarily make it. And I talked to Peter when I was leaving, I was there for 38 days and basically was like, how can I get a job here? How can I be like Maggie? I was always trying to be like Maggie. Um, (laughs) Are we all, and, Dave? <laughs> and he told me, volunteer, run the Alumni Association for a year and show me you can stay sober. And um, and so I went and I, I met some guy in uh, in Bucks County who was in the program and I painted for him for like, you know, I think it was 10 bucks an hour. And then I got a raise to 12. And uh, every Friday I said to this guy, like, I need off every Friday because um, I need to drive to the retreat and spend a day there every week. And I would go early. It was like the highlight of my week. Um, I'd show with Maggie. Sammy would come up when she was eventually got out of treatment and, and we would like do meetings. And and then one of the kids who's my best friend to this day, I uh, was impatient with this kid named Sean. And we would go back to his house and his mom would open the house to to all of us. And we would swim or have bonfires. And, um, <laughs> you know, there, there's all these little things that kind of shaped where I'm at today. And it's those people and and Sean's parents let me live with them rent free for a year. They refused to take money so I could commute to retreat and work there. And um, there was just so many people that were like 
this safety net around me. And I think it was like pretty clear early on that if, if I, it was my last chance. And if I turned my back to that or went to, I don't know, become a sales rep at something that wasn't relating to this lifestyle, like I wasn't going to make it. And that, that was very clear from probably like day eight or nine. In yeah. Early in. Sam, how about you? When, when did you go, you know, this is doing more than just helping me in my immediate situation, but this is something that I might be good at going forward. So for me, I had almost completed a criminal justice degree. And I knew that at the time it was going to be difficult for me as a result of some, you know, legal things that had taken place uh, during my active addiction. I knew it was going to be hard to get in that space to work in the criminal justice realm of things. And I remember I probably was like, everything happened for me similar to Dave, very organically where, you know, towards the end of treatment, I said something similar, you know, to Peter and and Scott and Chrissy. And they said the same thing they told Dave, they said, come back volunteer, show us that, show us that you're changing your life and getting better. And when you have um, a year sober, you let us know and, and we'll hire you on the spot. And uh, that's what happened. You know, I waitressed for a year at a, at a restaurant and I'll, I'll never forget having a year and going and picking out like my work shirts there and getting my first, you know, retreat polo. And it really was, you know, me and Maggie joke about it. It really was kind of like a, a residency for me. You know, I worked there for over six years and really got to got the opportunity to be part of a small drop in people's um, ripple effect of whether they, you know, left and did well or didn't and called and came back. Um, and in the beginning, it was how can I how can I be not just like Maggie, but how can I be like Maggie and the other young people living in recovery that are working here? Um, and so it was such a gift because then I got to go back and all those people that I looked up to as young people in recovery, they became like my teachers, you know, and they raised me at that campus. I was inpatient for 37 days and then I did outpatient programming at the time, which was on the campus. So that first year I was on the campus at least, at least once a week for an entire year. And then I helped Dave with alumni, uh, me and Dave and Sean. And, um, you know, we did alumni and we got the alumni involved and we built this little kind of uh, crew of people who we were just trying to do the next right thing and just Mm -hmm. trying to get through the week to the next Friday at the next alumni meeting. And um, when I worked at retreat, I had my I had my son. And when I went on maternity leave, I remember crying as I drove down the hill because it was the first time in over five years at the time that I had ever been away for the camp from the campus for longer than a week <laughs> uh, wow. because they were just so enmeshed in my foundation and my upbringing, not just in recovery, but working in this field. I mean, they raised me. I was, yeah. I, I was born and raised there. <laughs> yeah. Maggie. So, so you're, you know, you've been where both both Dave and Samantha, where you you had been where they were, uh, and now you're on the other side, and you're in a whole different uh, circumstance. You, I know you can remember intimately. What what was your impression of these two 
as they sat across from you. <laughs> I mean, did well, you go, did you, did you do, did you do a quick, like, forget it, this guy's not going to make it? Or did you go, well, he looks like he might make it. So I, I have really good stories for both of them. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to go ahead. Go ahead, so, go ahead. So before Dave came in, like, we really didn't have a lot of patients at the time. So like whenever a new patient came in, it was like such a big deal for us. Like everybody like got ready, and, you know, cause we really didn't know what we were doing. So it was kind of like the blind leading the blind, like, you know, so we were kind of like, trying to, you know, figure out the best protocol for how we were going to do this, you know? And Dave went to my high school. So I recognized his last name on the, on like the forms that I had before he came in. When we first started, I worked like 12 hour days on the weekends. Um, but this specific day I was like, you know what, I'm going to stay through the assessment. And I remember Dave was, um, like looking at him now, I feel like I can confidently say he was like, he was older than me, but he was like a young boy, you know, like he was not, mature by any means, you know, he, (laughs) he definitely also had a sense of willingness at the time, for sure. I think he was really humbled by the fact that Peter picked him up. Um, And then throughout like, you know, his stay, um, he definitely fit in like really well um, with like the the cool young people with like the sideways hat, you know, punk rock rap (laughs) person. That was pretty like interesting. But for Samantha, I remember I was um, in the nurse's station, another like young girl came in and she was like, Maggie, I think you need to talk to this girl because she just had a bait, you know, because like, you know, everybody wants to like judge everybody. And they were like, you need to go talk to this girl because she just had a baby. And she's talking about, you know, how like she really only cared about her addiction and not the baby. And it was like, you know, quite an experience since I went in and I talked to Samantha and she became my best friend. It's, it's a completely amazing thing. I think uh, we mentioned this. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it before we started uh, the, the episode or not, but I'm going to repeat it now. I told Peter, yeah, we have listen, we have a business arrangement. I can't I can't hide that. I mean, they are our underwriters. They make this happen. But uh, in terms of cooperation and editorial freedom, I can't impress enough. He's, he's you know, hands off. We do this. Uh, but I've so having said I'm not blowing smoke when I say I always tell him it's these people, man. I've worked in a lot of situations in my career in broadcasting, in and out of broadcasting, where it was a collaborative effort. You had to get along with a lot of people and everybody had to be on the same page or nothing got done. And, you know, I was lucky sometimes, most of the time that worked, but never have I run into a crew that is all on the same page. Now, you guys were in the trenches, so you didn't see it. I mean, every day, I'm sure there were conflicts and stuff. I'm telling you from someone who came in from the outside, for me, Retreat's hallmark is their people all buying in to the same premise. We're here to help. Um, and let's just do that. It's extraordinary. Peter is to be congratulated for having a great eye on, on picking folks. He doesn't do it blindly. You've heard all these guys say the same thing. It was not immediate. It was like, show me what you what you got and come back and we'll see, you know, we'll see where you fit in. So I congratulate him. I congratulate him. I've done that. Uh, I, I'm so glad we took the moment to um, note that their, their 10th anniversary It's going strong. It's better and bigger than, you know, now they're in Connecticut and they're in uh, they're in uh, Florida, of course. And they have the uh, satellite places and Lansdale. But so it's just getting better and better. I'm glad we took time to note their 10th anniversary. Uh, you three are just shining examples of uh, what happens when you get sober. And again, over 30 years sobriety 
with the, with these three guys. It, congratulations to you all, and uh, thanks for hanging with us on the Behavioral Corner. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks for having us. All right, guys. Hey, thank you guys for hanging. You know, we're here on the corner all the time. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook and, you know, even write a review. I can take it. I can handle it. See you next time on the corner. At Retreat Behavioral Health, we believe in the power of connection and quality care. We offer comprehensive, holistic, and compassionate treatment from industry-leading experts. Call 855-802-6600 and begin your journey today. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter on the Behavioral Corner.